What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 129. The entire way in which you interact with your physical body and other people's physical bodies is different when you are thinking about them as a person that you are in relationship with rather than an object that you are just interacting with from a hierarchical framework of control and often, in most situations, shame. Jamie Lee Finch is a sexuality and embodiment coach, a speaker, poet, and author of You Are Your Own, a reckoning with the religious trauma of evangelical Christianity. She's coached over 400 people in the last five years and sees her role in her work as that of a conflict mediator between human beings and their bodies. She just released her very first online course called Your Body is a Person that walks you through her entire methodology and practice of personified embodiment. And we're going to talk about that a little bit in this episode. Jamie is a dear friend of mine, and I am thrilled to have her on the show today. She is one of the people in this world who I think is doing incredible work, and she's the real deal. (laughs) Those are two things you need to know about her. The real deal, she's doing incredible work. If you're not familiar with Jamie, her book, You Are Your Own, A Reckoning with the Religious Trauma of Evangelical Christianity, that book has been influential in so many people's lives to work with the trauma of coming out of authoritarian and religious world, and highly recommend it. So we're talking today about a lot of different things. We're talking about celebrity culture, which is fascinating conversation. We're talking about our bodies and and what it means to be embodied, what Jamie means by her kind of term of personified embodiment, which is a really beautiful approach, I think. And then we're also talking about leaving and what it means to leave a community and find healing. I don't have any announcements today. That's not actually true. I'm going to be at Wild Goose Festival over Labor Day weekend. I think. (laughs) Let's be real. This COVID stuff still up in the air a little bit. Um, But the plan is for me to be at Wild Goose Festival. If you're going to be at Wild Goose Festival too, come see me on the podcast stage. We're doing a Queerology live recording with Matthew Paul Turner, who is the author of a billion books, but most recently, some really beautiful children's books. He recently came out as gay last year. We're going to be diving into his story uh, and, and things that are going on in his world. So I'm super excited about that. There's still time to get tickets to Wild Goose Festival if you are in the Hot Springs, North Carolina area. You can find all of the information about that over at wildgoosefestival.org. And just as a heads up, they are requiring everyone who comes to be fully vaccinated and to be able to prove it. Aside from that, nothing else. So let's just go ahead and dive in. Jamie, hi. Hi. (laughs) Hi. Thank you. Uh, Why did it take us so long to do this? I literally do not know. (laughs) (laughs) We've had more happy hours together than we have podcast conversations. And I like that. I actually really like that. (laughs) Me too. That feels like the preferred way to do life, honestly. (laughs) Well, to start, this is the question I ask everyone. How do you identify and how has faith helped form that identity? I 
have spent a little bit of time thinking about this question. So, you know, to like pull back the curtain of the podcast for a second, you did tell me that question was coming and it's such a good question. It's so deep. It's also very wide. And as I was thinking about it, actually right before this conversation, I was soaking in the bathtub and I was thinking like, how do I identify? And I was going through the list of all the different ways that I identify because there's many ways. And I realized that, you know, even the day we're talking, there has been some interesting, let's call it a kerfuffle, um, on (laughs) social media where, um, one aspect of many of the things that have happened today is that I have been pushing back on this constant mischaracterization I see from some people in their demand to label me as a celebrity. And that gets me activated immediately. I was telling a friend earlier, we were talking about it, that when, when I hear and experience someone call me a celebrity without my consent, because I do not consent to being dehumanized that way, it feels, I can physically feel it in my body. It feels like something sharp in my chest and like a punch in my gut. And I think the reason for that is because, and this is my answer to how I identify, is because I've spent so, I've spent a few years now doing public work that I didn't really anticipate I would be doing. And I have spent so much time asking, pleading, and even sometimes demanding that people see me as a person in the midst of doing that work because of how easy it is for people to stop being people when you've othered them in this way where they're separate from you by having a platform or notoriety or really any way that we other, other people. But I think our, you know, our, my friend, possibly your friend too, Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. Yes. Brilliant. I mean, they're constantly talking about upending and dismantling celebrity culture and platform culture. And that's actually who I was texting about this and, and telling them why that label affects me so much. It's because I so intensely identify as just a person. And the way that I would say that faith has informed the shaping of that identity and the development of that identity is that I feel (laughs) I've talked before a little bit, kind of briefly, well, I guess I've gone into it a little bit more about my actually my resistance to what we'd classically consider as faith. I recently talked about this in the context of this awareness coming up in the midst of a tea ceremony with a friend of mine where she was encouraging me to not resist spirituality. And she was very kind about it. Nothing was invasive. And I felt this deep guttural thing come up in me that was ancestral. And I told her, I, I can't because I don't trust me. I don't trust us as white people with God, with any form of spirituality worship, and I'm not projecting this onto anyone else. This is my, what I felt coming up in me. I can't, I don't feel like I can go that direction because it feels unsafe because look at what my ancestors, look at what people who look like me have done to bodies every time we have claimed to have found God. And so my relationship to this identification as a person actually came through the loss of what people would classically consider to be faith but finding this relationship with my body that she has become a person to me. It's like the thing I talk about more than any other thing. And she has become a person to me. My physical body has so personified herself that I see other bodies in that way. And it's taught me that there really is, I mean, there's lots of valid ways in which we see each other according to the systems of of largely systems of oppression that have shaped our world and lots of different ways we identify. And also at the end of the day, we are bodies, we are people and in bodies. And yeah, so I feel like that's my, my very long winded answer that I just came up with 20 minutes ago of like, I identify as a person and how faith has shaped that for me is through my body teaching me that she is a person. All of that feels so deeply tied in into the work that you've done, which, I mean, you've already said, but the work that you have done in your life to see yourself as a person, your body as a person, like, it doesn't surprise me that this celebrity label (laughs) is one that you're like, no, I am going to claim who I actually am, my body, in the embodied sense of, of the way celebrity pulls us out of that in in any way shape or form of what celebrity is 
it's disembodied. I think that's a great word for it. (laughs) Any way that this idea of celebrity manifests in our individual consciousness or even our collective consciousness is deeply disembodied. It's it. What I think is very true is that it disembodies the person that we project that onto. It also disembodies us when we do that to someone else we are creating. And again, that's why Dr. Robin is so passionate about specifically dismantling celebrity culture itself. And that idea was honestly not even something I had really thoroughly encountered or considered before encountering them and encountering their work. And it was kind of like hearing someone name a longing within me that I didn't have language for. And, and I think it, it also is not surprising to me that they and I both work very closely with thinking about and constantly processing everything through the lens of the body. So I, yeah, I agree with that completely. And it is a very, yeah, it's just an interesting, interesting place to be in, to be doing public work that I really, (laughs) I long for it to be a lot quieter than it is. I really wish my work could be quieter than it is. Unfortunately, right now, I don't really have that ability to make it quiet and still sustainably pay my bills. And so it's a tension I'm wrestling with constantly. But I think the thing that feels very upsetting to me is when it's mischaracterized as if I set out to become a celebrity, build a platform, be famous. Because again, that's that's functionally opposite to everything I hold true in my ethic. Even in the work that I do, the client work that I do, which is that I, I'm constantly, when I'm working with people, constantly telling them like, I don't have anything for you, actually. No, nobody really does. There's lots of things people can give to you that you can borrow and lots of assistance people can offer to you. But ultimately, I'm really here because I really want to prompt you to listen to you and see what's there. And that idea, so it feels very antithetical to my entire ethic for someone to mischaracterize my intentions as being someone who wants to set themselves above when everything I'm actually doing in my professional work and in my private life and trying to in my public work by constantly telling people, I'm a person, I'm a person, I'm a person. I feel like everything I'm doing is trying to take myself off this pedestal that people think I put myself on in the first place. And I want to be clear. I say people think that most people don't. I think, you know, what happened to just today, you know, this will be out of context when this airs, but it really revealed to me that I think people are hearing me. Most people are really hearing me. There are some people that will be committed to misunderstanding me. There are people that will be committed to misunderstanding you for the rest of our lives. And there's very little we can do about that. But I think I have realized today in my body, I felt it in my body more than ever, like, oh, people are really hearing me. And that feels very good. And I think in some ways, and I don't know that we necessarily need to linger here, but in some ways, I, I, I think you're acknowledging the way that it kind of comes with the territory. And, and and I wonder, even as we're kind of talking about this, like anytime I have this conversation with you, with Dr. Robin, with other people, like it constantly is bringing me back to my own self and that sense of where do I put other people on pedestals? <laughs> and just how natural And I mean, almost, I mean, not almost, it is easy to set ourselves apart from other people in this, in this celebrity way, in a way that feels uniquely kind of US based. Like when I talk to people in Canada and the UK, when I, in Australia, people who listen to this show in other parts of the world, they're like, yeah, we don't treat people the way you do. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Interesting that you just named that. I hadn't really thought about that before. I wonder, and we don't have to go down this rabbit trail because this is largely forming as we're talking about it, but I wonder how much it has to do with capitalism because what popped into my brain just now is tabloids and how much othering someone through naming them, labeling them as a celebrity is used to sell things, both, you know, tabloids and also just movies and like it's entire industries, very wealthy industries are created on top of the, I mean, out of the necessity of having celebrity. So I don't know, that's not really a fully formed thought. It'd be something maybe 
worth exploring in our next happy hour. Um, yes. yeah, I think, I think doing, <laughs> having that conversation over a couple glasses of wine would be actually very therapeutic. We should do I that. would love that. Like, yes. yeah, let's make it happen. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you, you keep talking about kind of the, the work that you're doing and, and I know even through the way you're talking about it, I think people are probably getting a sense of what it is, but, but I'd love for you to kind of talk about like, what is this work? Your sexuality and embodiment coach. What does that mean? <laughs> what is it? Yeah. Every <laughs> time I'm around places in real life and they're like, what do you do for a living? I honestly, I realized the other day I've, I've been doing this without realizing it. I take a deep breath before I answer the question. <laughs> and I hope that's not sending a signal to the person that just is just trying to get to know me or just make small talk that I'm like, oh, this again. Like that's not what's happening. It's that I feel like every time I'm asked, I'm have to and want to like take a beat to see like, how do I describe it today? <laughs> um, and also there is a little bit of that, not here in this moment, but sometimes there's a little bit of that fear of like, how do I make it sound legitimate immediately? Like, what, what do I need to do to do that? Um, so yeah, I'm, I am an embodiment coach. Very, I learned very quickly that in just describing myself as an embodiment coach, that will sometimes result in people not really knowing where to put that on its own. So I've started saying sexuality and embodiment coach, and it at least helps people kind of like, oh, okay, that goes over here. But I definitely lean very heavily on just the embodiment part of it. The sexuality aspect of it absolutely comes up in my client work with practically every person I work with, but that's not really centered because sex is just one of the things that we do in and with and through our bodies. It's one of the most vulnerable both with ourselves and other people, things that we do in and with or through and through our bodies, but it's just one of the things. So I am an embodiment coach. Um, what that means is that, um, I am just constantly talking about bodies and constantly thinking about bodies. I'm very often weeping about bodies and how much I love bodies and how much I am just desperate for everyone to love their body and learn what it looks like to really, really love other people's bodies. And I mean that in a way that doesn't just center like personal and individual and relational healing and connectivity, but also collective justice and equity. And so how that manifests in the work that I do is I work with this really specific methodology that I actually created called personified embodiment. And it sounds kind of fancy, but it really just means learning to refer to your physical body when you speak about them, when you speak to them, learning to refer to them with a personified pronoun like he, she, or they, rather than using the word it. And in doing so, you are actually shifting your perspective about who your body is, or as we might say before moving into the personified framework, what your body is, and therefore what they are here for. Because, and I, I go into this in both the client work I do and in this course I just created, I spent a lot of time laboring, belaboring this point in my course. The reason why it's important to shift to a personified pronoun away from an objectified framing of the physical body using the word it is because it is an automatic divestment from intersecting systems of oppression. And it is a very, it would take me the rest of this podcast to fully and completely describe the minutia of how and why and going into the presence and impact of each one of those systems and how they teach you to internalize hostility towards your physical body and externalize hostility towards other people's physical bodies. But suffice it to say here and now, that's real. And I spend about two hours in my course talking about that at length, how we actually are partnering with these oppressive systems that are very real and ever present. So water we're all swimming in. We're actually actively partnering with, with those systems. Every time we refer to our bodies as an it, because we are, we are agreeing with the ideas from those systems of what our bodies are for and what they're not for, where our bodies are allowed to be and are not allowed to be whose body is good. Whose body is bad. Whose body has value. Whose body doesn't have value because we measure objects that way. And we also interact with objects in a way where if something breaks, we either have to fix it or toss it out, but we don't treat people in relationships that way. And we do repair relationships, but we don't treat people as if they need to be fixed. We commune with people. We sit with them. We speak to them. We speak 
with them at length, like the entire way in which you interact with your physical body and other people's physical bodies is different when you are thinking about them as a person that you are in relationship with rather than an object that you are just interacting with from a hierarchical framework of control and often in most situations, shame as well. So that's, that's what I do. It took me a little while to find my stride there. This idea of my body being a person to me is something I have held within me for about seven years. I've been coaching for five years, but I've really only been doing, I've really only been bringing in this, hey, your body is a person aspect of it for about four years. And I've really only been centering it exclusively really for about three. Because for those first few years, I was kind of embarrassed about it. I didn't, I didn't know if people would be freaked out by that. I didn't know if the clients I was working with would suddenly be like, that's really weird. And that seems silly to me now to look back on that. Cause it's so normal to me. And, you know, but I really resisted it for my first couple of years as what I previously was, which was more of like a health coach, like, which is funny. Cause I was talking about bodies all the time. Right. And so I, yeah, I resisted what was really natural to me in my personal life for a little while until I just couldn't resist it anymore. And wouldn't you know it, it's the thing that like has really drawn people to this work, which is not me saying it's drawn people to me. I mean it, that it's drawn people to this work, which is for every person doing their own work of acknowledging and working to restore the relationship that they're in with their bodies. I mean, this work hasn't come easily to you i I mean just in knowing little bits of your story from the from your writing the way that it i mean would it be fair to say that i mean is born out of trauma and so i mean i I would love to hear a little bit about even how this approach of your body as a person which which like i mean even pausing there (laughs) is I mean, that is just a revolutionary statement, I think, in some ways. I mean, it sounds so like, well, of course. But also, like, when you actually think about it and and what you're saying of, of how we treat our bodies, do we treat them like people? Right, right, right. <laughs> or not. And, and that's huge. It, it, it changes so much. I, all, all of that to say, I mean, how did you arrive there from this place of trauma? The thing is... The previous environments that I spent a lot of time in, the two that I will name very clearly are evangelical Christianity and the white wellness world. Those two environments never had space for me because I was born chronically ill. And both of those environments were operating under what I didn't know at the time because I didn't have language for at the time, but I now know we're operating under extremely ableist frameworks about wellness and wholeness and even holiness. I almost said holiness in evangelical Christianity, but white wellness spaces definitely have a perspective on what makes you holy and good. So goodness. Um, and you know, Matthias, it never worked for me. And I don't mean that like conceptually I wrestled with it. I mean, I never got to belong because my body never got better. And that when I was in evangelicalism, it was framed to me as something that I just was lacking faith over, or maybe even was hiding sin and, you know, was causing what was going on. But either way, I wasn't doing enough to fix it. I hate using that word for my body now, but whatever, like that was the framing at the time. I wasn't doing enough to fix it because if I was, it would be fixed. And then when I left that world, when I deconstructed or started to deconstruct my relationship to the religion of my, you know, childhood and adolescence and beyond, it makes sense to me that I ended up in, in the wellness world, the white holistic wellness world. Because again, I had been told for decades in many ways that my body was a problem that needed to be fixed, not just because, you know, evangelicalism tells you your body's a problem if you just so happen to have a sex drive or just, you know, are not white or just are a woman or just are a person of any gender that isn't male. Like there are so many reasons why your body is a problem inside of that space and that the sin in your body is a problem. But also, again, I was ill all the time in ways that I mostly survived by refusing to acknowledge, uh, but would always 
it always caused my body would always get loud at certain points in time. So when I left that world, of course, I was really hungry for the very next thing that was like, Oh, we'll fix you. Cause I still thought I needed to be fixed. So I went into the wellness world where I got my certification was, you know, in a space that was really white and very, again, now looking back, very ableist. And I'm grateful that they taught me a lot of what I've now since thrown out. Um, (laughs) I am grateful they provided me, they taught me how to be a facilitator. They didn't necessarily teach me how to be a safe one. I had to, to seek out relationships and accountability and further learning to learn how to be a safe facilitator for all bodies, but they taught me how to facilitate. And in that process of learning what they were teaching me and, and beginning to attempt to walk that out again, I was like, I don't fit here. Like it's the same shit packaged differently. It's not prayer anymore, but it's like essential oils or some shit. Like it's like, (laughs) it's like eating. It's not, it's not like living clean, but it's like eating clean. It's like that shit. And so I was noticing. So then as I started learning more, I was like noticing like, okay, well the same racism's here. Uh, the same misogyny is here. The same fat phobia is here. The same ableism's here. Like what the fuck? I was like, what did I not leave? Like it was very bizarre to me. And so the point I started to get to was in this curiosity about my, what was going on with my body. I was also very curious to just, yeah, just try to figure out like, what is happening with you? Like, what kind of sick are you? Cause this has been going on a long time. And so I started to experiment with, um, figuring out if I had any food allergies. It's kind of like really basic stuff at the beginning of all of it. And what happened was kind of strange because yes, I started to uncover certain foods make me feel better. Certain foods make me feel worse. Isn't that interesting? But I also noticed I'm taking really intentional care of my physical body in this one outlet. And yet in these other areas, I'm constantly disparaging. Again, at the time I would have said it. I'm constantly like, I'm, I'm shaming myself for what I think is like being lazy. Every time I would get my period, I, the way I'd talk about my body was like my uterus trying to kill me. Like I was like talking about my body as if they had hostile intentions towards me. I was still wrestling with shame around sex and sexuality. And so this thing just started to emerge where I was like, this is incongruent. What's going on here? If I really believe this stuff I'm saying, and the stuff I've internalized about my physical body, if I actually believe this, why am I doing this work to take care of my body? That seems really bizarre. So I started to you know, interrogate pretty heavily, like, why do I speak this way about my body? Why do I think this way about my body? Who taught me how to hate my body like this? And somewhere in there, I really can't pinpoint for you the moment or even if there was a moment at all, a singular moment where she emerged to me as a she But I started to realize the ways in which I was feeling when I was experimenting with like, how does this food make me feel? How does this activity make me feel? I was like, it's talking to me. And I was like, oh, wait, communication, sensations. Like it was like, I started like unbeknownst to myself, gathering this list of characteristics of a person as I was starting to get really curious about my body in a way that I had never been allowed to before because I was just told, you know, control it or ignore it. And so that, that middle space of curiosity that was different than control and different than neglect started to make me realize I'm in a constant dialogue with this being. And if that's true, this must be a person, this must be a living being and not an inanimate object. Like I'd been taught my whole life. And, and, and again, <laughs> like that feels so revolutionary because I think you, we live in a world where we really kind of prioritize our brains <laughs> and and even you know certain th- forms of therapy prioritize our our brains over our bodies and and this idea that if, if we just think better or can figure something out fix it from a cognitive level then everything is going to go perfectly and and yeah I mean I'm hearing you say but I mean, my own experience and my work as well. Like, like, you know, that's probably not actually going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And also what, what does perfect mean anyway? What do we even mean by if I do X, Y, and Z, things will go perfectly or my body will function perfectly. Like not only is that we, we think that's an objective metric, but it's actually very subjective. And also 
I'm sorry, like bodies don't work that way. Like even if there was some sort of objective metric of perfection that a physical body could achieve, I'm sorry, you cannot escape the inevitability of death and dying and decay unto that point. So we actually have to, whether we choose to, or we're forced to, we have to wrestle with the quality of the aliveness of our bodies and how they are not stagnant objects. They don't remain the same forever and throughout our lives. They are constantly changing and constantly communicating different things in their different seasons of change. And objects don't do that. Like living things are the only beings that decay like that. And so, yeah, it's exactly what you're saying. Like we have this idea this Western supremacist method of thought that like overvalues the brain instead of the body and, and puts us in this position of thinking, well, I can just think my way into, or, or problem solve my way into never it's, I mean, it's hard to even put language to, cause it's so absurd, but like to never, I can problem solve my way into never experiencing variability in my physical body or decay or death or pain. Like really the simplest way I could describe my story is that pain and illness was the doorway into all of this. Realizing she was a living being and not an inanimate object. What took me there, what took me on that journey was the very thing that I was taught was so bad. And, and I needed to do everything I could to try and fix or get rid of. How do you think about that now? I would say a good solid amount of the people that I work with and even just communicate with about this idea and concept have one or sometimes more chronic illnesses or one or sometimes more areas of chronic pain in their body. And there is this, they have the same dissatisfaction I did of I'm tired of being treated like a project that just isn't complete yet. And I, what I hear in them is what I felt too, which is I'm tired of being told I can't love her until she's better. I'm so fucking sick of that. And this insistence and honestly, like deep hope combined with like this kind of like fear that maybe it won't be possible that I, I won't be allowed to unless they're fixed and they're better. And, and so when I answer the question of what do I think about all of that now is like, it's bullshit. This idea of like, I mean, and I mean, fat, fat people experience this too. Like we do this in a really specific way and with fat phobia in our culture as well. Of we treat people in fat bodies. We treat fat people as if they are an unfinished product or an unfinished, yeah, an unfinished product. We treat people in disabled, chronically ill and chronically in pain bodies as if they are in process. They're unfinished. You haven't arrived yet. And we'll tell you when you've arrived. It's when you're our measure of better, whatever we've decided is better. The thing is, is those very experiences or even our qualities, as you might say, those very things about us that we are constantly being told, you don't get to be a person. You don't get to be loved. And you certainly don't get to love or care for yourself until you change this. Those are actually the doorway in. Those are actually the way in to reclaiming your personhood back from these objectifying systems who've tried to tell you, work on this project until we approve of you. So I think, yeah, what I think about that now is it's not only bullshit, it is the longer we stay there under that assumption, the more we're missing about what's actually offered to us right here now in acknowledging our bodies are just people that already love us, are already good, are not broken, do not need to be fixed, do not need to be changed in any way, and have been loving us fiercely and supportively since the day we were born. You've also recently come out as bisexual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's why I wasn't on the podcast before, because I wasn't, <laughs> I hadn't really been talking about how I was queer. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm curious how like that all plays in 
to this too because I, I mean knowing you my guess is you can tell me that this is true or not but my guess is like that wasn't like a new thing no. it was more like just a naming publicly <laughs> yes definitely you're right but even what your experience of of queerness whether it's been named publicly or not <laughs> how that ties into this embodiment being a person well one of the things is that for about five years now I've been holding space for other people as they gorgeously allow me to bear witness to their process of uncovering and becoming in this area. And it's stunning to watch people get to a point where they're like, I'm going to tell the truth. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be publicly, but to themselves. And I think that's a reason why it took me so long to come out publicly is because I had that showed me, I was like, oh, I can tell the truth to myself. And so I was. And then I started telling the truth to people I was in direct relationship with. And it it honestly just didn't really strike me as something that it felt necessary for me personally to say publicly. And part of that is because I just kind of felt like people assumed it, which is great. With I honestly at this point in my life, it could be my vantage point. But I just assume people are queer until they tell me they're straight. Like I'm I don't the same way. <laughs> I like I feel like two percent maybe of the people I know are straight. And I don't even know if they are. And that's not me saying I don't believe them. That's me saying like I'm not I'm honestly not sure. Like I don't know if they've told me that. So yeah, part of that is I feel which was confirmed when I posted it on Instagram. People were like, wait, is this the first time you're I thought, was I wrong? And I was like, no, you were right. (laughs) You knew. But what happened was it actually is a very body-centered thing. It was very sudden for me. Um, I did not plan it. I did not anticipate it. You know, kind of for the last few years, June comes and goes. And I'm like, I see other people's posts and coming out publicly. And it's so exciting and so great. And I just had never felt like, again, I never really felt like I needed to. I never planned to really. Um, But one night I was sitting at home. And I had recently had this photo shoot done for um, basically for my course for, you know, marketing my course. And also because the last time I had had a photo shoot or any photos of me was like 2018. So we needed an update. So um, got some photos done and I'd, I'd gotten them back like a day or two prior. And I was going through them. And I think I was going through them for a specific purpose that I cannot remember. But as I kept going through them, I was looking at myself in them. And it's really hard to explain. Honestly, I was just looking at myself and looking at my body, looking at the physical posture of my body in these pictures and how in myself I looked, like very in myself and like comfortable in my positioning. And there were like, even looking at certain things, because some of the photos I was intentionally moving and dancing for. I wanted it to be a very embodied photo shoot. But so some of those, but then also some of the ones where I was sitting, like even just like a specific placement of my hand or like a certain way in which my leg was extended that I was like aware. I mean, I really, Matthias, I don't know how else to say it, but I was just like, I'm fucking queer. Like I'm looking at these (laughs) photos and I'm like, I'm fucking queer. And it's suddenly in an instant, I shit you not, it felt immediately incongruent that everybody didn't know. It was just looking at these pictures of myself. I was like, I have to do this now. And I was, I was texting with my friend, Ren, who's actually the designer of of the workbook that goes along with my course. And I was telling them, I was like, I, I think I'm going to, am I, am I going to do this? Like, I was just very, like, I think it was like going in stages where I was telling them like, here's the photos. Cause it was all a bunch of pictures of me, like sitting awkwardly, you know, just like a good bisexual and, and Red <laughs> knew this about me already, but like, you know, and so I was like, here's the photos. And I have, you know, I have half a mind to like write this post or saying something like this. And then suddenly I had written it in my notes on my phone. And then I sent it to Ren. And then I was just like, I think, I think I'm going to do it. Like, it was just this very, like, it was probably, this probably happened in like 30 minutes. So I did. And I hadn't even, not that I really ever planned on it. I hadn't even technically ever come out to my family. I just put it on the internet. Like, and again, (laughs) but I think that's because like, I didn't necessarily feel like coming out to my family was a necessary thing to do. Not because I assumed they'd be so affirming that it wouldn't matter, but just because I don't need their a specific response from them on it, to be honest. So 
it literally was just this sudden overwhelming surge in my body that I was like, I can't go a minute longer with anyone thinking I'm straight. Like this feels, and not because I have anything against straight people, maybe I don't. Um, but because I was like, because I'm queer and that's the truth. And I need, I need this to be congruent. I need everyone to know what is true right now. It was really, it was just like a Tuesday. I was just watching a basketball game or something. <laughs> like it was very, very simple, but important. <laughs> I love it. I, you know, Jamie, when I saw that post on Instagram, <laughs> I commented on it and, and I didn't even realize until like probably 20 minutes later that you would come out. Cause I like don't read captions. Yeah. Like that's a yeah. chronic flaw of mine. <laughs> I just like, I oh, cute photo, I love you. <laughs> you use Instagram how it's meant to be used, which is not like Twitter. Yeah. You use it for what it is. Proud and then I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, she's, she's, she's come out. There it is. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I love it. I love it. So you said something a few minutes ago, we're going to jump back <laughs> of, of, uh, we were kind of talking about your transition from this evangelical world into white wellness culture. And the question that you asked yourself eventually of, did I not leave? Like, <laughs> did I not leave this? And I'm so curious because I feel like that highlights this really important distinction between leaving a place and healing from a place. And, and I'd be so curious about what, for you, healing from that has actually looked like and, and being able to move into maybe different systems from instead of kind of falling back into the same kind of system just in a different way. Matthias, that's a great question. And that's such an important distinction that there is a difference between leaving and healing. And I, I think that in many, if not most, if not all cases, you can't heal until you leave. If, especially if the place is like very abusive, very harmful for you. But I do think many people leave and don't heal. And that's not a statement of judgment. That's a statement of, um, of recognizing now what I didn't know for a long time, which the simplest answer to that question of like, when you leave, how do you heal? Succinct, simple answer that I'm sure I will expound on because I'm wordy. You learn how to divest. You learn how to divest from the systems that taught you and programmed into you. This is the way the world is. This is who your body is. And by the way, this is what all of those other bodies are for. And you can't really heal and we'll just talk, speak directly about evangelicalism into, you know, wellness spaces, like my experience. You can't really heal from evangelical Christianity without divesting from white supremacy and patriarchy and ableism and fat phobia and capitalism. And I'm sure a handful of others that I just didn't list. And because each one of those systems functionally helped build that one and are I won't say obviously, because until you see it, you don't see it, but to me, obviously, but each one of those systems are extraordinarily present in the foundation of something like evangelical Christianity. And if you leave and you simply leave and you go somewhere else, like I did, I mean, let's, let's tell the truth here. Why was I attracted to the white wellness world? That's the question in the first place, right? Like that's not me disparaging my past self. That's me saying it's an obvious question. I was attracted to a space that functioned similarly, but was labeled differently, differently, but it actually functioned. I just said similarly, honestly, it functioned identically, but it was just labeled differently. Now I'm grateful that that was one step out from this thing that was actually very intensely traumatizing to me during my developmental years. It's really important that I found the self-permission to leave that, but that's why the healing couldn't really happen when I was in the white wellness world because nobody was prompting me or teaching me to divest or what divestment even looked like because nobody was speaking to the existence and impact of these systems in the first place. And in not speaking about the existence and impact of these systems, they were not actually, I was not actually being taught about what has shaped our view of bodies my body and other people's bodies. So I actually think in many cases, healing doesn't necessarily look like what causes you pain becoming 
less painful or healing doesn't really look like an illness or a disease that you have in your body, like disappearing from your body. What I actually really believe about healing is healing looks like divesting from an ableist paradigm and a white supremacist paradigm and a patriarchal paradigm that tells you you are unworthy of love and belonging in the world unless your body gets fixed. That's what healing actually looks like. I welcome, uh, I, I would love to not have celiac disease anymore. That'd be really cool. Like I would love to not have inflammatory bowel disease. That'd be fucking tight. I don't know if that's ever going to happen for me. Going off of my genetics, it not only has not happened for my mother, her experiences with these illnesses has gotten progressively worse as she's gotten older. That may happen to me. And what healing looks like for me in my relationship with my body now, what that looks like is me not holding that against her because it is not her fault. And what that looks like is me not demanding that she change or be different in order for me to take care of her and love her and value her and give her permission to move through the world with safety and care. Now, again, in doing that, everything we do for personal healing, I believe is only complete when we turn it back outward for collective justice. So if I'm going to learn to do that for my body, that has to inform how I do that. If I'm going to heal my perspective and my relationship with my body, I'm going to learn to heal. And I need to learn to heal my perspective of my relationship to other people's bodies, because how I particularly as an able-bodied passing and straight passing, because I'm in a relationship with a man, white woman, cisgendered woman with all kinds of thin privilege, all kinds of, you know, middle functionally middle-class privilege, like all kinds of privilege. If I am going to move through the world, and especially if I'm going to do the job I do, if I'm going to work with bodies, I'm just, if I'm going to move through the world and work with and care for bodies, I absolutely have to be able to know what has shaped my perspectives about bodies and learn to violently upend those misconceptions when necessary, which is pretty much, it's pretty much always necessary because otherwise I'm not safe. And it is for any of us who are doing, I want everyone to be safe, but particularly those of us who are doing any form of facilitation work with people's brains or bodies, we have to be safe. And if we're going to have these conversations about being trauma informed, I don't want to hear people just talk about direct trauma, like religious trauma or familial trauma. You have to talk about systemic trauma because otherwise you are not actually trauma informed. And very often that's not something, unfortunately, you're going to get from classic pathways of academia or classic pathways of licensure and therapy or certification and coaching. Like very often, unfortunately, you're going to have to go looking for it. You're going to have to go looking for that and it's going to make you uncomfortable. The closer proximity you have to privilege, it's going to make you uncomfortable because it's supposed to, because your body already knows this. Your body already knows all of this and your body is actually not interested in partnering with any of this bullshit. So, but however, your body has had to survive living in these spaces by navigating them through leveraging proximity to privilege in ways that are ultimately, I mean, it feels really... Not good, ultimately not good and deeply harmful. So your body's gonna feel uncomfortable. The more that you, the more that I, as a white woman, the more that I start to center looking at these systems, naming them accurately and seeing the impact that they have on my body and other people's bodies, it's gonna make me feel really uncomfortable. It has to, that's the important part. Yeah, so, so you have already said this a couple of times today. I put together a course. I did, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. tell, tell me about that. Tell us about it. Well, unsurprisingly, it is called Your Body is a Person <laughs> because what the hell else are we going to name it? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I remember sitting in that meeting, you know, Zoom meeting, because I made this throughout 2020. So that's all we did. Um, and hearing people on the team be like, what? So what's the name of this thing? And I, for whatever reason, I sat there and thought about it for like 10 seconds as if I didn't already know the answer. And I was like, oh, <laughs> duh, that's the answer. Um, yeah, so it's called Your Body is a Person. I, I'm in love with this thing. It was excruciating to build and to birth. And part of that was because I worked with um, a digital marketing company that they were, I hired them to help me write the scripts for the videos that I recorded. It's a really 
it's a long course. It's like, it's a very intense course. There's 30 videos, 30 lessons. It's paced out over 14 weeks. So every two weeks, a new module unlocks because I really want people to take their time with this information. So it's it's lengthy and I have ADHD. So uh, the idea of just sitting down in front of a camera and be like, let me talk about what I know was like, I care about y'all too much to do that to you. Um, so <laughs> what I, I worked with this company for months, honestly, about a year in shaping these scripts according to what I do and how I know how to do it. And they helped me build, we built this outline together and very long story short, when they wrote these scripts on my behalf and sent them back to me, I don't know why I didn't have the foresight about this, Matthias, honestly, uh, they were fucking abhorrent. <laughs> they were completely wrong. I mean, they sounded exactly like what something like that would sound like, which is someone who doesn't know what they're talking about, talking about something that I actually not only know a lot about, but literally created. So it was just everything was wrong about it. So I had to start over completely. And I rewrote every single word of this thing, along with my my assistant, my social media director, Erin Beattie. She also rewrote them with me. I could never have done it without her. And honestly, I could never have created this thing without this team of like eight people that all contributed and each that like share my ethic and that I trust so much. Um, but yeah, she and I rewrote all of those scripts together and it was a massive labor and it was so worth it. It was so worth it because I trust every word of this thing now. And I, you know, I recorded all the videos and cried at the end and I left that in. So that's a little treat at the very end of it. Um, cause it just, this was, this took a year and a half. I mean, just that part, it honestly took a lot longer than that, but just the creation process itself took a year and a half and so much money, so much energy, so much emotional labor and so many experiences of like panic and disappointment and grief and heartbreak. And it exists now finally. And I'm really, really proud of it. And it, it, it introduces people to my methodology of personified embodiment. But first, it introduces you, in case you're not familiar, with the existence and impact of these oppressive systems. It names each one individually. I brought in um, consultants to help me shape the pieces that I don't have lived experience with, like white supremacy and fat phobia and some of the others. And, um, And then I talk about how each one of these systems actually programmed you to feel really hostile towards your physical body, like in in specific detail. Here are the things they taught you and are continually teaching you. And here's how you internalize them. And then I take you into, but there's another way. And it's this personified embodiment method. And we talk a lot about what that means, how to practice it, what's possible. And then the final four modules of the course are the four facets of this methodology of this practice, which is self-compassion, self-curiosity, self-communication and sustained self-connection. And there's a few lessons in each one of those modules. Um, so it's videos, it's teaching, there are practical exercises, there are specific practices to do that I prompt you to do. And my favorite part is that there is a physical workbook that accompanies this course, which was from day one, I was dreaming of, and I knew exactly what I wanted for it. And a couple of people told me that it wasn't going to happen. And I said, fuck you. I didn't say that. I just said, it will. Uh, thank you very much. And I said, if I literally have to hand mail every single one of these out by myself, I will do it, which is what I'm doing now. I just placed an order, Ren just placed an order for 500 of them. So they will be coming to me soon. And I, I love, it's beautiful. Ren illustrated it. Um, I, I designed it. Ren illustrated it. It was very collaborative. It is stunning. It's gorgeous. I've, I've started sharing some sneak peeks of it on my Instagram and social media. I might share a little bit on Twitter too, but it is, it's beautiful. And I really wanted this to be a tactile experience for people. That's the reason why I was like, I'm not doing a PDF. I don't care what any y'all say. Like, I want this experience to be embodied and to be physical and to, I want it to be different. I need it to be different. So every person that enrolls in this course is going to get that mailed to them. I actually have had, I have a person who enrolled from like South Korea. So I'm like, all right, I can't figure out how to send that to you, but I will, <laughs> I will. Um, so yeah, there's just, there's so much that comes with this. There's so much depth, so much material. And honestly, speaking from a place of integrity, there's so much intentionality 
with the creation of this thing. And also in the way that we decided to price it, the way that we have been marketing it gently and integrously marketing it. And I just feel so proud of every single part of this project. Mm, goodness gracious. I, I mean, I feel like we live in an era now where there's a healthy amount of suspicion around courses. Yes, like, there should be. Rightfully so, right? I mean, like, there's so many reasons to be suspicious. And, and I think, I mean, knowing you, knowing the work that you do, I mean, and I hope people who are listening to this are even getting a sense of it through this conversation. Like, this is one of the good ones. And I haven't even seen it. I just know you. Yeah. Like, this, <laughs> It's it it is one that I would feel confident sending my clients to 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 do this work and, and so congratulations and I'm so glad you're doing this and how can people find it how can people if if they want to do it yeah well yes there's two things that I can say about that um one of those things is that one of the things we decided to do in um, setting this down really gently in front of people was giving people as much stuff away for free as we possibly could. Um, Cause that's just fun to do. And I like doing that. So we actually created um, this like 10 day mini course, like a miniature. It's kind of a miniature version of the course. What I actually feel like is more accurate to say is it's a miniature version of like the front part of the course of like diagnosing the problem, so to speak, and beginning to introduce like, and also there's this other way. And so that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's delivered to you via email. So you don't have to like go to a social media app to access it or any specific website to access it. You can actually just opt in to have that sent to you for free. And if you want that, you can go to jamieleefinch.com slash reclaim because we've called it the reclaim your body. Uh, mini course. So that's if you want to dig into that. There are going to be, in the timing that this podcast is coming out, um, I'm very aware of kind of the deadlines of things. So when this podcast comes out, we will only have about just a little bit over a week before registration for the course closes. It closes on August 31st. So you can still enroll in that mini course and just consume it. And that's it. And that's great. But just as, just as a point of awareness, um, you know, things like that, there are moments in the mini course sequence that are, are telling you, Hey, if you want more of this, the course exists. So the reason why I'm saying this is that I don't want someone to opt into that, not know that the course registration deadline closes August 31st, opt in on like August 29th, get to September 3rd and be like, this sounds cool. I want to enroll and then realize you can't anymore. So the mini course is there for free, take it, have it. And also if you want to enroll in the course itself, like I said, the registration for it closes August 31st. You can go to course.jamieleefinch.com. Really easy. There are two paths through this thing. Uh, again, very intentionally designed because everybody's different. Lots of people want this and want to consume content like this on their own and privately. And so there are three different pricing tiers and there's payment plans available for each of those pricing tiers that when you choose one of those, it enrolls you in the course and you, you got it. You will get not only access to it when it opens up, but you will have lifetime access to all of what's in there. As I said, it's a, it's kind of a tiered release. It'll open up every two weeks, a new module, but after you purchase the regular enrollment into the course, if you decide that you want to opt in to the group coaching path for it, it's a, there's a limited number of people. We're capping it at 50. We're about 50% full right now for that. Um, so there are a limited number of spaces left for that, but that's an option after you purchase the course. If you decide, you know what, what I really need in doing this is going through material like this. That's pretty dense, pretty heavy. I'd really like to process that in community with other people who are learning it as well. And that, that group path, those group sessions are facilitated by me too. So every two weeks we meet, we will meet for about 90 minutes and go through and kind of process the material from that, the module of, of that previous week or the, those previous two weeks together in, in community together. So yeah. So course.jamieleefinch.com for the actual course itself. And if you want the free content, you can go to jamieleefinch.com slash reclaim. Ugh, Jamie, I, you know, every time I talk with you, I'm just like, it's just so good. <laughs> so. Oh, I love that. What, that was such a cute noise you made. Oh, I feel so honored by that cute noise. I feel uh, very similarly. I wonder what my noise would be. I'd probably probably the same. It's like, oh, yeah, that. It's like a little heart flutter. Um, yeah. Yes, mm. me too. And I really hope that someday soon 
you and I can take a trip to New York together and hang out with Mari. Yes. <laughs> and oh hug gosh, yes. for hours <laughs> <laughs> once it's safe to touch people again. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. Yes. Yeah, I would I would love that. Yeah. I mean, thank you so much for joining me. I'm, I'm so you. grateful. This is this has been so wonderful. I I really love you. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I almost forgot to tell you this. We plug your book in the mini course. Oh my there's gosh. a there's a lesson. There's one of the days is talking about sex and sexuality, and at the very end of it, I tell people to go buy your book. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Because <laughs> I love your book, and I love you, and I love the work that you do. I love everything that you do, and I'm just really honored to be invited to participate in something that you've created with you. So thank you. You can find out more about Jamie by heading over to her website, jamieleefinch.com. She's on Twitter at Jamie Lee Finch and on Instagram at I am Jamie Lee Finch. If you're interested in that course, that 10-day free version can be found at jamieleefinch.com slash reclaim. And the paid version, the full course, can be found over at course.jamieleefinch.com. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is on the air because of you. To find out how you can become an active listener and keep Queerology going, head over to patreon.com slash Matthias Roberts. A really easy way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or go to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the show or just want to say hi, reach out. And until next time, y'all, bye! Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.